0: Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Bread for the broken. He
1: answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And they're like, Whoa, maybe he is crazy, right? Because he has lost it. Like, he doesn't even know it. No. He's like, Oh, hold on. Let me clarify something for you, real quick. Who are my mother and my brothers? Looking around at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and brothers. Basically, I know that sounds kind of weird, but what he's saying is like, this is my family.
0: This is my family. The ones who are seated at my feet. This is my family. What stronger bond is there that exists than family? Even in nature, look at the mama bear and her cubs. Nothing and nobody gets between them. The family really is the strongest bond there is. In today's message, Pastor James teaches us about what it means to be part of the family of God. We know that even though Jesus loved his mother and his half siblings, his family didn't end with them. As he put it himself, whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Mark, chapter 3, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken.
1: We all know what happens with Judas Iscariot, who it says, who does betray him. We'll touch on that later on in the gospels. Verse 20, though, it says, when he went home, the crowd gathered again. So this is probably within Capernaum. So that he, they could not even eat, right? So this is when it's getting crazy. I mean, they're just, it's ministry and they're just pressing in and pressing in and it's nonstop and and he's not eating. And now people are starting to worry about him. And it says, verse 21, when his family heard it, They went out to seize him or arrest him for they were saying, he's out of his mind. Jesus has lost his mind. He's crazy. All this, you know, doing good has gone to his head and he has totally lost it. He's not even eating anymore. John 4 34 says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus, he's going to eat. He'll eat. But right now, the ministry demands are so crazy. I mean, people are just pressing in and pressing in. They don't even have time to stop. They don't even have time to, to grab a little nosh or anything like that. And it's like, now word gets back to Mama Mary, and she's like, oh, my boy, my baby boy. He's like, we got to go get him. He's lost his mind. He's crazy. So she gets up, you know, together, his brothers, maybe some of his sisters. Perpetual virgin? I don't know how that works. So she had a lot of other kids, okay? So love Mary, but she's not still a virgin. I hope we understand that, right? Okay? Because he's got brothers, half-brothers and sisters, okay? Anyways, tremendous woman. Blessed by God. Absolutely she rounds up the posse to go get Jesus because he's lost his mind. He's crazy. And this is a literary thing that they do, a, a technique that is often used back then where they'll, they'll have this part of the story and then they're gonna like, include a, another part of the story. So it's almost like, think about an Oreo cookie. We all love Oreos. They're delicious, right? You get the cookie, you get the cream, and then you need the bottom cookie, right? So this next story about... These accusations against Jesus are like that cream right in the middle. But then we'll get back to the, the whole family drama. So just so you understand that. But what I do want you to point out or to notice is this idea of Jesus being an insane man is circulating and circulating because it's here with his family. His family, his own flesh and blood, so to speak, is like he's lost his mind. He's crazy. We got to go get him we got to go get him. He's going to die. He's going to die, right? And you're like, well, yeah. I mean, that's, that was a prophecy that they told you at the temple when you know, he was born, but not because of this. He's doing the Father's will. As Mary and, and her crew are making their way towards wherever Jesus is at, Capernaum probably, some other ones show up. Verse 22, the scribes who came down from Jerusalem... And just so you understand, geographically, Jerusalem is southeast of this region. It's to the south. But you always, if you're leaving Jerusalem, you're always going down to, I don't care where you're going. And if you're going to Jerusalem, you're always going up to Jerusalem. Because it is, it's up. It literally is up. But that's, if you ever notice that, and if you're like, happen to look at a map, and you're like, no, wait a minute, they didn't, no, you always go up to Jerusalem, and then you always go down from Jerusalem. That's just how it is. And it's amazing when you can do that, okay? So go to Israel. If you get a chance, go to Israel. You will love it. absolutely love it. Um, But anyways, these scribes are coming down from Jerusalem. They were saying, this is what they're saying, the scribes. He's possessed by Beelzebub. This is a demonic spirit, lord of the flies. More specifically, lord of the dung flies, just to add a little bit more insult to injury kind of a thing. Not just flies, but the ones that hang around dung. That demon is what drives Jesus. How is he able to accomplish all these healings and and casting out demons and and setting people free and preaching and teaching with such great authority? Oh, he's demon-possessed. That's where you come? That's where you get to? That's the conclusion you get to? Religious leaders? They want to start this lie. They want to circulate this lie that, yeah, his family thinks he's out of his mind, but now you have the scribes, the religious leaders, experts of the law saying, oh, He can't do this by himself. Well, he's got God, right? No, no, he doesn't have God. He has a demon. He's a demon. That's what they started. It says, and by the prince of demons, he cast out demons. And I don't know about you, I'm a pretty linear thinker, A to B. That's usually how I roll, A to B. You know, very logical to a certain extent. And when I read stuff like that, I'm like, what doesn't make any sense. I mean, I'm not even an expert in law or religion or anything, but I also know like, wait, he cast out demons by a demon? That doesn't add up. That doesn't make sense. And even Jesus is like, are you guys listening to yourselves? It says he called them to him. I love this. Jesus calls these scribes to himself and he says, hey, let's have a little talk. Let's have a little talk. He's going to say to them in in little mini parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? Which is the question I would have. Like, he's like, I'm sorry, but how does Satan cast himself out? It doesn't work. How can he do that? And they're like, uh, (laughs) and he's like, right, you don't, you don't have an answer because there is no answer. It says, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. This accusation you're bringing about me, towards me, doesn't make any sense logically at all. Let's move beyond emotion and let's move beyond the Let's talk logic, logic. And you make none. You make no sense, religious people. A house is divided against itself. That house cannot, it would not be able to stand. The house divided, it'll fall, it'll crumble. That's um, a little parable speaking spiritually. It also has very real practical, you know, application within our own lives. Family-wise, we see that, man. Families that are split apart. It's sad, man, just rumble. Just a mountain of rubble and, and just brokenness. But Jesus is speaking on the spiritual realm, and he, he's just saying it, there's no a kingdom, it, it won't stand. A house, house will not be able to stand. In verse 26, and if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. Verse 27, but no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, then indeed he may plunder his house. And this is these little parables that he throws out to these religious leaders. He's like, you are sadly mistaken to think that I am demon-possessed. And what they really are doing, and they're not aware of this, I don't think, are really assaulting verbally the Holy Spirit. And he's going to caution them about what they're doing. And I think they're more than likely, they're going after him. But what they don't really realize, these workers of God They're actually attacking God. And he gives them a warning, but he uses these little parables to say like, look, Satan's not against himself. He's not, he doesn't work against himself. That doesn't make sense. And you know, that doesn't make sense. He says, if you're going to break into the strong man's house, so to speak, and you're going to plunder his goods, you first and foremost have to bind the strong man. And Jesus, that's, he's like, this is what I'm doing. I showed up and I'm binding Satan. I'm binding the strong man and I'm plundering his goods. You're on the wrong side of the story. You're missing it. You're missing it. And he's literally going to bind him up after he comes back and the rapture thing that takes place. And he's going to physically bind Satan up to pit for a thousand years, and all that good stuff, that's physically, that's going to happen. But in this moment, Jesus shows up on the scene, and he has bound him, so to speak, and he is plundering his goods. What are his goods? His goods are those souls, those souls. And these guys are totally missing it. They're totally missing this, and it's such Uh, animosity towards Jesus, such hatred towards Jesus, they're willing to go so far as to say he is demon-possessed. That's how he does all these tricks. The moment somebody accuses Jesus of being demon-possessed really gives a good indication of where their heart is. Look, I mean, my goodness, even, I mean, the world doesn't totally get how amazing Jesus is. I mean, even People Magazine can't put him as person number one, right? Like, I don't even know how he doesn't make the top person on history's greatest people. Somehow Jesus loses out on that list. And I'm like, uh, he's in the top five. But it's like, come on. But even they get it like, well, he's a good guy. He's a good guy. Well, yeah, he was a great guy. He's a great teacher. Yeah, he was a fantastic teacher. He's all those things. But technically, if he wasn't the son of God, then he was an insane man. I believe it was C.S. Lewis who I very loosely paraphrased what he had said. But I mean, he's either, he's either that or he's absolutely insane. And these guys are like, we're going to go with the insane route. We're going to go with that option. And you're like, are, you're insane. You're crazy. And you're missing it because of what? so blinded by their hatred, so blinded by the fact that he's not who they wanted him to be. Jesus showed up, and he wasn't, at that moment in time, he wasn't who they wanted him to be. They were disappointed with Jesus. And that disappointment led to bitterness. That bitterness led towards jealousy. The jealousy led towards hatred. The hatred led towards murderous plots and spreading lies, and all that good stuff. Here's the warning. Truly, I say to you, verse 28, if you got a King James, that's probably a verily, verily, right? You guys remember those? (laughs) Verily, verily. Truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man, and whatever blasphemes they utter. That's good news. Hey, that's really good news for each and every one of us today. I don't care what sins you've committed. Guess what? They can be covered by the blood of Jesus and forgiven. I don't care what you've said about Jesus. That can be covered and forgiven. You've got to own it. Please know that there is repentance as a part of the salvation thing. Owning it acknowledging the fact that, man, I'm a sinner. I am a sinner. Am I a blasphemer? Oh, yeah. I was a blasphemer as well. Absolutely. Covered by the blood of Jesus, the grace of God. Man, what a beautiful thing that is. Jesus says, sins, all sins will be forgiven. However, verse 29, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Verse 30 clarifies a little bit. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. No, he has the Holy Spirit. And they were calling the Holy Spirit a demonic spirit. And Jesus is saying, You better watch out. And I think this is one of those moments, like you've ever had this interaction with parents before, where it just like they turn like it turns serious. You know what I'm saying? Like, like it gets real. And you're like, Oh, uh, should I be scared? Yeah, you should be scared. Jesus says, You better watch out. Because there is one sin that's not forgivable. There is one speaking against the Holy Spirit. It's blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Have I committed that? All that good stuff. Because that's where Christians in church normally tend to go. It's like, oh no, have I done that? If you have that thought, I'm going to say you're probably okay. Because those who blaspheme against the Holy Spirit don't care about whether or not they've blasphemed against the Holy Spirit. And in one sense, you know, you can read through different, listen to different guys teach on this and read through commentaries and all that fun stuff. Essentially, if you boil this thing down, is this is ultimately the absolute flat-out rejection of Jesus as Lord and Savior. How are you gonna forgive what, what the person doesn't want? And this is like speaking against the Holy Spirit came to convict hearts and to draw people to Jesus and, and to hear this gospel message and give their lives to Jesus. And only the fact that, yes, you're a sinner, but He's a Savior, and He came to save you and to die on the cross for your sins. Holy Spirit is leading us to Him constantly. And for those who absolutely flat out reject wanting anything to do with Jesus, well, how can there be forgiveness? They don't want forgiveness. And Jesus cautions these religious people. He says, You need to watch out because you're stepping really close to the line. It's a caution for them. It's a caution for people who grew up in church, who go to church all the time. It doesn't do much for you if he's not your Lord and Savior. Don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Man, here's your safe route for this because this should never be an issue for believers, I think. It should, this should never be a fear or a concern for believers. You surrender your heart to Jesus as Lord and Savior. You're good, okay? In that sense. Now get in the game. Now get in the game, right? Don't worry about this stuff and don't, don't let this stuff trip you up. Now, this is a word of warning for people who are constantly like, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. I don't want anything to do with Jesus. There's going to come a day where. He's not going to have anything to do with you. And that's sad. But that's reality. That's truth. Hell is not filled with like people who are like, you know, I don't know what our idea of this is. Hell is filled with people who flat out blatantly rejected Jesus and want nothing to do with him. And if you think that that doesn't break God's heart, then I don't know if you really understand how he works. We pray for our lost friends and family members. We pray for them. We pray that the Spirit breaks through, and He he shows up within their lives, and He convicts them of their sins, and and, and they end up surrendering their lives to Jesus. And we continually pray for them, that the scales will be removed from their eyes. And you keep praying for them. If you have somebody near and dear to you that you're like, man, I'm concerned about them for this. Well, then you keep praying for them you keep praying. And when you get the opportunities to share the gospel and to talk about Jesus and glorify Jesus and and how amazing he is, then you keep doing that. You keep doing that. Jesus just throws it down to these guys who want to spread this rumor and this lie that he is demonically possessed and somehow he's performing all these miracles because it's a the spirit of Beelzebub who lives inside of him and is doing all this work. And he's like, no, no, no. The spirit of God lives inside of me. This is the Holy Spirit. Don't you dare speak against the Holy Spirit. Don't you dare speak against the Holy Spirit. We can go in another realm with that as well, Christians. Don't be afraid of the Holy Spirit OK, there's this weird thing, like, we're afraid to talk about the Holy Spirit because somebody will start talking in tongues and all this stuff. That's not how it always works. Come on now. We're, we got to read our Bibles, right? But the Holy Spirit is the third member of the triune God that we believe in. God the Father, God the Son, who is Jesus Christ. And God the Holy Spirit, he dwells inside of you. It's amazing. Amazing. The Holy Spirit is, he's God, and he's amazing, get to know the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid of the Holy Spirit. Get to know the Holy Spirit. Now back to his family who thinks he's lost his mind. He's got religious leaders like, he's demon possessed. Now he's got to deal with his family, right? This last little part, his mother and brothers and sisters came. They probably show up maybe right after this story. I don't know. They probably walked into this very thick tension kind of story. <laughs> standing outside, they sent to him. They did, I don't know if they don't go in because they can't go in, or I don't know, but they send people in to go get Jesus. Go get my son. Go get Jesus, right? That's what his mom says. So he sent to him. They called him. The crowd was sitting around him. So you got them standing outside, but the crowd is sitting around Jesus. There's something to that, Okay. It says, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. They're here. They brought a rope. We don't know why, but they came to arrest you. Um, They probably didn't bring a rope, but that's literally, they came to arrest him, all right? He answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And they're like, whoa, maybe he is crazy, right? Because he has lost it. Like, he doesn't even know it. No, he's like, oh, hold on. Let me clarify something for you real quick. Who are my mother and my brothers? Looking around at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and brothers. Basically, I know that sounds kind of weird, but what he's saying is like, well, this is my family. This is my family. The ones who are seated at my feet. This is my family. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. This is my family. He doesn't dismiss his family family, biological family at all, but do know there's a difference between standing on the outside and sitting at his feet. And it wouldn't be too much longer after this story that those who maybe were standing on the outside would be ones who would sit at his feet. But I think this story kind of illustrates this point of like, they're coming to get him because they think he's lost his mind. And he's like, well, no, no, no. I'm just doing the will of my father. And as I'm doing the will of my father, look at all these people showing up. This is the family. This is the family. Still love you guys. Still care about you guys. But this is the family. And he clarifies that for the group, for his disciples, for all who were listening. And I think the last little note for us is be part of the family. Be one of the ones sitting at his feet. Be one of the ones who signed up. Why? So you can not just be with him, but just like with the disciples, that you could go for him. Get in the game. Get in the game, guys. Time's running out. I don't know if you know this, but my goodness, our world is losing its mind. Prophetic events are happening right now. Things are lining up. If you're ever going to get on the court and just go on an adventure for Jesus, now's your time because you're going to miss it because he's coming back soon, soon, quickly, quickly. Don't run and hide. Do not run and hide. You stand. You stand. You go for him. Time's running out, people. Time is running out. I'm not even being dramatic about this. My goodness, Jesus, I don't even watch the news. And I turn, I look at different articles. I'm like, holy cow. I remember reading about that in the Bible and it's happening today hold on guys hold on it's about to get real fun so go for jesus go for him
0: thanks for joining us today here on bread for the broken you've been listening to pastor james grizzle as he teaches through the book of mark one of the accounts of jesus's time here on earth Though it's short, this book is powerful, as it's filled with encounters that Jesus had with people, everyday people just like you and me. And the book of Mark reminds us that Jesus came to serve. He humbly did what needed to be done, even if it wasn't glamorous. Jesus healed the people who were sick. He spent time with the lonely and the rejected. He loved the unloved unconditionally. And then he proved his love by the ultimate act of service. He gave up his life for all of us. He took the place of every person on the earth, and then those to come, because we all deserve death. Our sins make us unacceptable to God, and we're unable to do anything to fix it. That's why we need Jesus. Today, if you haven't allowed Jesus to be your savior, please consider it again. If you have questions or would you like to talk more with someone? Then please take a moment and go to breadforthebroken.com and click on contact. Just fill out the form and we'll be in touch with you. You can also come visit us if you're in the Galveston area. Bread for the Broken is a ministry of Calvary Galveston and we meet every Sunday and Thursday. So find out more at breadforthebroken.com. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Next time, Pastor James will pick up where he left off in the book of Mark. So make a note of where we are and make plans to join us next time here on Bread for the Broken.
2: Let me paint the picture of you.